Hey everyone, welcome back to the Sermon Podcast from Mount Hope's Belmont location where each week you'll hear a message designed to help you learn more about God, grow in your love for God and others so that you can go and live a life driven by faith. You and I live in a culture that is increasingly opposed to those who trust in God. And it can be a challenge to understand how we are to live in such a world. Right now, we are in a journey through the book of Daniel, learning how God calls us to live when surrounded by people who do not believe. Let me ask you a question. What would you do if you found a book in your house and you opened it up and started reading and it was about your life? Would you turn the next page, keep reading, see what happens? Or would you close the book and walk away? Today we're going to look at a time that Daniel was reading something that was about his life and the day in which he was living. And we're going to look at how he responds. How he responds is a great example for you and for me. So I hope you enjoy this, and I hope you listen closely. Because I believe God has something he would like to say to you. My youngest daughter, our youngest daughter, Nora, is just about 10 months old. And very recently, uh, she's had two little teeth pop through the bottom of her her mouth there, and uh, and she has just we just started to give her uh, solid food, so that's a big change, right? So some little pieces of bread and chicken and things like that, she can start to eat. And you know when children progress along these stages, you get a little nervous at this stage as a parent when you start to introduce different kinds of food and different uh, things. And last night. We were at a restaurant, and my son had ordered uh, a cheese quesadilla, and so you can picture the, the ch- quesadilla triangles, and Nora really wanted to grab them, and she was chewing on it, and it, I think it felt good on her, on her gums to chew on that, on that little triangle there. But what was our big worry, right? Our big worry is that she would bite off, what, more than she could chew, chew right? That's our big worry, that she would bite off more than she could chew, and so we're watching her uh, trying to eat and watch her out of the corner of our eyes, mostly my wife, because she's great, watching her out of the corner of her eyes. I was pretty into my food, and, uh, and we're watching her so that, to try to make sure that she doesn't bite off more than she can chew, and that's important. Well, I'm here to tell you this morning that as we start Daniel chapter 9, I can tell you uh, from the very beginning that we are biting off way more than we can chew in the 30 minutes to two hours that we have here together this morning, okay? We are biting off way more than we can chew here. So some of you uh, who are familiar with the Bible and know what's coming in Daniel chapter 9, uh, you're waiting for this, you're, you're interested in what's, what's here at the end of the chapter especially, because if you don't know, if you're not that familiar with the Bible, the end of Daniel chapter 9, the last three to four verses are some of the Hardest verses to understand in the book of Daniel and also in the entire Bible. And based on how you read them, I think they can be some of the most important verses in the book of Daniel and the entire Bible. And we just, if we had a lecture hall with computers and notebooks in about five hours, we could go through everything that it might mean and all the different theories that people have. uh, And we just can't do that this morning. So I say that because the treatment of Daniel chapter 9 that we're about to get into we're going to handle it, but because it's more than we can chew in about 30 minutes, uh, some of what I say or don't say uh, might confuse some of us. It might uh, anger others. It might disappoint some people, uh, but it, hopefully at some point uh, we are also encouraged as we read Daniel chapter 9 together. So if you're real familiar with the text, some of what I've said makes a lot of sense. If you're not familiar with the text, you're wondering exactly when I'm going to start making sense, and I hope to do that right about now. 
when you're starting something new, it's your first time trying something or doing something, it's always nice, isn't it, to be able to talk to an expert, someone who has been there before, someone who's done the thing before. And there are certain things that we do in life that we don't want to do them without an expert. We really want there to be an expert there. For, so I've never gone skydiving, but I certainly wouldn't Google how to pack a parachute if I was going to go. I would want an expert who has done it before over and over again to talk to me and to do it for me and to help me along the way. And I think it's not just uh, big things like that, but when you're starting a new job, it's nice to be able to talk to someone who's done the job before. If you were going to start investing, maybe you'd talk to someone who knows what they're doing when it comes to investing. If you're going to start a business, you'd talk to someone who's been there and done it before. It's nice, isn't it, to be able to go to someone and, and talk to an expert. We do it as parents. We do it as husband and wife. We do it when we're trying to, to figure out our path and navigate our path. That's the reason uh, tonight we have Carla Driscoll coming. That's her whole job. Uh, that's her whole job out in the business world is to help people navigate their path in leadership. And it's nice sometimes to be able to have an expert to go to and to talk with. If we were going to find an expert to be able to learn from and to be able to hear from on prayer, I don't know that we could find anyone better than the person of Daniel. And that's what we're going to do today. Most of Daniel chapter 9 is a prayer that Daniel makes to God. And we have the opportunity to sit in and listen to what Daniel says and how he says it. And there's something to be learned for us. Because many of us want to pray. Many of us feel like we should be praying. But I think many of us, even uh, the secret is, those of us who have been in church for a long time, feel like we're not sure how to do it. That's the reason we don't go to any prayer groups because we don't want anyone to call on us and we might have to pray out loud because we're not sure we know exactly how to do it or how to say things correctly or what it is that God wants to hear, what the formula is that we're supposed to do. And we need to learn. It's good to be able to go and learn from someone who really knows what they're doing. And Daniel, if you've been with us over the last couple of months that we've seen over and over and over again, is a man who God uses powerfully when he prays. Prayer allowed Daniel to be able to interpret the dreams of kings, if you were with us and can remember back a few weeks. Prayer also got Daniel into some trouble. The reason he's thrown into the lion's den is because he's so diligent in praying to God. And we get this sneak peek. We get to open up the book today and see how Daniel prays. And I think it's good for us because there's something for us that we can learn in how Daniel prays. It teaches us something about how we can pray. Before Daniel starts his prayer, there's a very specific context that Daniel's in. This is a big moment for Daniel. And if you look at verse 1, verse 1 and 2 in this chapter, you'll see exactly what I mean. In the first year of Darius, this is Daniel chapter 9, verse 1. In the first year of Darius, the son of Asherus, by descendant Amid, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign... I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that according to the word of, of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. So let me tell you what that means real quick. If, if you've been with us over the last few weeks, you know that Daniel and his people, the Israelites, are under the control of some pretty evil empires of their day. When Daniel was a young man, probably a teenager, 
an empire called the Babylonians came and took them captive. And now as Daniel's reading this, we know because he puts it into time very specifically during King Darius's reign, Daniel is probably in his 80s. About 70 years has passed. And Daniel is reading some of the prophecies that were given to his people about this time. And as he's reading it, he reads words like this from Jeremiah chapter 25. And he says very specifically, I was reading the prophet Jeremiah. And I don't know if this is the exact verse that Daniel was reading, but he certainly was reading something like this. Therefore, says the Lord of hosts, because you have not obeyed my word, he's talking to his people, the whole land shall become a ruin and a waste. And these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. So here's Daniel. He reads these verses in Jeremiah. They were written a little bit before the Babylonians came and took the people into exile. And something clicks in his head. He goes back and he looks in his outlook calendar and he scrolls way back and he sees the date. He sees the date that this happened, that he was, he was taken from his home and Jerusalem, the city that he grew up in, was, was uh, sieged and destroyed. And he's looking at his calendar and he knows it's been close to 70 years. And God told his people through this prophet Jeremiah that they would be in exile for 70 years. And Daniel's looking at the calendar saying to himself, we are close. We're close. We are close to the time that this thing is over. And so he goes before God and he begins to speak to God and to pray to him. You ever had a moment so big in life that the only thing that you could think to do was go before God and talk to him about it. Maybe something was going on with work. Maybe something was going on with your family. Maybe something was going on just internally. Struggle with loneliness or purpose or anxiety. And, and there was nothing you could think of to do but to take it and go to God with it. That's what Daniel does here. As he sees this 70 years about to end, and as he, as he looks and he knows that the city that he came from, the city of Jerusalem, was still lying in ruins. And he doesn't know how God's going to work this whole thing out. He doesn't know how God's going to end this 70 years. He doesn't know where God's going to send his people, what God's going to do. The only thing he can think to do is to take this before God and bring it to him. And the way that Daniel brings this thing to God, the way that he presents it to God, I think is instructive to the way that you and I you and I can bring the things that we have before our God as well. Chapter 9 has a pretty extensive prayer from Daniel in it. But if we were to sum it up in a couple of words, I think verse 19 in this chapter offers a great summary of what Daniel's asking God to do. Daniel comes before God and he says in that verse, O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. And as Daniel gets to this important point in his life and the life of his people, he comes before God and he prays to God really in three big movements. And he says it this way, O Lord, o Lord hear, hear my prayer. O Lord, forgive me and forgive my people. And O Lord, pay attention and act. And I would suggest to you this morning as we walk through this, that this is a pretty good template for us. When we come before God, that we would come before God and we would say, O oh Lord, hear, O oh Lord, forgive, and O oh Lord, act. If you come before God and you're not sure what to say or what to pray, this is a great example of what you could do. When you go home this afternoon, you go home, and this week gets difficult, this week gets tough, how you could approach God and ask him for help. 
Here's how Daniel does it. In verse 3, look what happens. He's reading his Bible. He hears this prophecy. He's, he's, he's concerned that the 70 years is almost up, and he doesn't know what's going to happen. And then in verse 3, he does this. Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy, with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. If we're to ask the question, how do we know that Daniel was serious about being heard by God? I think the answer is right in that verse. How do we know that Daniel took seriously that he really wanted God to hear his prayer? I think the answer for us is in that verse 3. Because Daniel turns to God, but he doesn't just do it casually. He does it with fasting, meaning he's purposely not eating so that he might be able to focus on his prayer before God. And he's also in sackcloth and ashes, which would have been a very traditional way for him to signify that he was in mourning, that his soul was bothered by something. And so Daniel comes before God and he says, he doesn't just say, God, would you hear my prayer? He very uh, physically and externally shows God that he's serious about being heard, that he wants his prayer to be heard. And I wonder, as I think about the way I pray, or the way many of us pray, if we take serious enough the exchange that's really happening. There is today in the modern church uh, a very helpful and I think practical truth that gets emphasized that God is everywhere all the time and you can call on him whenever you want. When you're driving down the road and when you're walking with your friends, when you're sitting in work and you're sitting in class and that's true. You can call on God wherever you want and he will hear you. But there are times in life where it is worth putting the extra effort into recognizing that I'm about to go into the presence of the creator of the universe who holds the world in his hands, who created it all and is in control of it all. And because this is so important and because I long for God to hear my prayer, it is good to establish some disciplines in our lives that reflect that truth. You know, if you go to Google and ask a question, it doesn't really matter how you present yourself. Uh, In fact, Most of us might be embarrassed if people saw how we looked when we got up in the morning and had a question for Google. And we just sit down at the computer and we've been wondering about something and we want it answered. And it's sometimes great to live in a world. You remember if we were in an argument, if Justin and I couldn't remember who won the World Series last year. uh, It wasn't the Yankees, I don't think. But if we can't remember who won the World Series last year and we were in a fight, we were in a fight about that in an argument. uh, Back, you know, not too long ago, I mean, the only way to solve that is for Justin and I to go to the local library and get with a newspaper off one of those giant sticks and flip that thing open and see if we can figure out who won the World Series last year. You remember? But now it's in two seconds that it's just done, and it's so casual how we can gain information. It's, it's so casual, but there are certain times in life where we have questions that because the question is so big and because it's so important, we ought to put some effort into it, Right? If I'm going to ask someone uh, to marry me, I'd put some effort into that question. Probably think about it beforehand and put some effort into how I'm going to do it. If I'm going to ask my boss for a raise, probably not just bust in in the middle of a meeting and say, hey, I'd like a raise. Probably put some effort into that one. Think about it beforehand. Present myself well and ask the question. And I think with God, there's this aspect where sometimes we're a little too casual And Daniel actually provides a helpful model for us that that we ought to do things like fast. We ought to do things like take seriously what it looks like to walk into God's presence and ask him for something. 
It's a good challenge. So Daniel says, oh, Lord, hear. But then Daniel says this, oh, Lord, forgive. Forgive. And look what he says. We're not going to read this entire section. This section goes from verse 4 to about verse 15. But just we're going to read a couple verses here so that we can get a flavor of what Daniel's asking for in this section. This is what he says in verse 4. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us, open shame. As at this day, to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all Israel, those who are near and those who are far away, and all the lands to which you have driven them, because the treachery that they have committed against you. Daniel has been in exile for 70 years. He's had some successes in his political career as we've seen in this book. But it has not been easy. And no matter how long he lives there, these other kingdoms will never be home. His home is still in ruins, the city of Jerusalem. When you find yourself in those difficult places, and I'm sure this happened to Daniel, and I'm sure it happened to some of his fellow people, it is so easy, isn't it? To look up at the heavens, shake our fist, and say something like, God, how could you have done this to us? Why did you do this to us? And when you experience tragedy in life, when you experience uh, difficulty in life, sometimes it's so easy for us to look up at the heavens and shake our fist and say, God, why would you do this to us? But for Daniel... It seems like to me a light bulb has gone on for him. And I don't know if it's gone on for all the people around him, but certainly for Daniel, a light bulb has gone on. And he understands the entire situation differently than that. Because what we see here is not Daniel go to God and say, God, how can you for these 70 years have done this to us? What's wrong with you? Daniel comes and says something quite different. Yesterday we called my mom, my kids and I, Caitlin and and Jackson and Lori and I, we called my mom uh, because it was her birthday. And so uh, it's also Everly's birthday today, right? Yeah, she's one years old. That's great. That's great. She's here, right, in the nursery? All right. Well, we'll sing happy birthday later. But uh, it was my mom's birthday yesterday. My mom's birthday yesterday. And we called her at uh, her house, and we were talking to her. My kids were talking to her. They call her Nana, and they call my dad Papa. So after they talked to Nana, Caitlin went off to go to bed and Lori went with her, but I was in Jackson's room and I was still talking to her on the phone. And a couple of times while I was talking to her, I called her mom. And each time I did, I heard Jackson, my four-year-old boy sitting next to me, snickering to himself and say to himself, mom, her name's Nana. (laughs) And so I hung up the phone finally and he said to me, he said, why did you call Nana mom? Her name's Nana. She's not mom. And I said to him, I said, Jackson, well, she's my mom. Nana is my mom. And he started dying laughing. And he said, what do you mean? Nana's your mom? 
And I said, yeah, Nan is my mom. And he said, he said, so when you were a baby, and you could see the wheels start to turn, when you were a baby, Nana was your mom? I said, yeah, when I was a baby, Nana was my mom. And he's like, and Papa was your dad? I said, yeah, Papa was my dad. And he's dying laughing. It's the funniest thing that he's ever seen. But all of a sudden, the light bulb went on. Because he knew these people were Nana and Papa, but other than that, he had no idea why they were in our lives or why we went and visited them halfway across the country once a year. And all of a sudden, it clicked. Oh, these aren't just people I call Nana and Papa. These are your parents. And the story started to make sense to him. And I think something like that happens in Daniel's heart or mind. I don't know if it happens in this moment or if it happened before this moment, but we can very clearly see it in this moment. When we read those verses from Jeremiah 25, and we could go other places in Jeremiah to get this message too. We go to Jeremiah 29 or other places. God says, Therefore, the Lord, says the Lord of hosts, because you have not obeyed my words. And all of a sudden, something clicks in Daniel's mind as he's understanding the prophecy. And he remembers. God told the people, and if we flip back in this book earlier, God told the people what would happen if they disobeyed him. And what would happen is they would be sent into exile. God told them it would happen. And so rather than Daniel shake his fist at God and say, why have you done this to us? Daniel very rightly says, God, we did this to ourselves. You told us. You told us. If we didn't listen to you, if we didn't obey you, that we would end up in this place. And we are here, and I am sorry. God, would you forgive me, and would you forgive my people? And sometimes in our lives, I think that we also need to take that posture. In fact, I would say the very fundamental thing that we have to understand when it comes to understanding the good news of Jesus Christ and the gospel, when it comes to understanding what it looks like to have a right relationship with God, is that when we look at the world and we look at the brokenness of this world and the pain of this world and the hurt of this world, that we would look up at God and we wouldn't say something like, God, why haven't you done this to us? We would look at ourselves and we would say, God, I'm sorry, we did this to ourselves. That is the very root of coming into a right relationship with God and understanding what it is for God to be God and for us to be fallen, sinful people. God told us right at the beginning what would happen if we walked away from him. And we did it anyway. And when we come into God's presence, there is this sense that we have nothing to bring We have nothing to offer. He's God and we're not. He's in charge, we're not. We have nothing to bring. In fact, that's one of the reasons why you hear people pray in Jesus' name because we're we're saying we have nothing to bring, but based on who Jesus is, we are bringing these requests. But Daniel just doesn't stop at asking God to hear and saying he's sorry. Daniel very boldly does something else, and that is he asks God to move And to act. Look what he says here. Let's look at verse 18. Oh my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. And Daniel comes before God and he says, God, I know we put ourselves here. I know you said not to do this, and we did it anyway, but God, 
Would you still move? Would you still act? Would you allow us to go and to rebuild the nation? Would you allow us to go and rebuild the city? Not because of who we are, he says very clearly. Not because we're great people. You know, some of us, we come before God and we think God owes us something, that God should be working on our behalf, that God is our heavenly butler and all we do is we come to him and ask him to do things and he runs around and does things for us. And when he doesn't act that way, we get frustrated and we stop trying or we walk away completely. But Daniel comes and he says, not because of who I am, not because of who we are, God, but because of who you are. Because you've told us that you're merciful and you've told us that you're our God and you've told us that we're your people. So not based on who we are, because we messed the whole thing up. Based on who you are, would you move and you act? Daniel comes before God and he says, God, hear, God, forgive, and God, act It's the same way we can approach our God as well. We can come before God and we can say, God, would you hear our prayer? And he does. God, would you forgive our sin? And he does. God, would you move and you act? And he does. And that is the great truth about the God that you serve, is that God, when you come before him with all intentionality and with all dedication to present your request before him, God hears your prayer. God forgives your sin, and God moves, and he acts. Look at what happens to Daniel here in the next verse, verse 20. While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and presenting my plea before the Lord my God for the holy hill of my God, While I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the first, came to me, swift in flight, At the time of the evening sacrifice, he made me understand, speaking with me and saying, listen to what he says, O Daniel, I have now come out to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, and I have come to tell it to you, for you are greatly loved. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. God comes to Daniel in the midst of his plea. And you can imagine Daniel, Daniel is, in a, is in a difficult spot. He's not sure how this is going to work. He's not sure what God's going to do. At the end of these 70 years, does he get to go home? Do they get to rebuild? What's going to happen next? And even though Daniel doesn't get the full answer right here, God sends Daniel a message, and the message is this. Daniel, I hear you, and I love you. If you will diligently bring your request before God, I can't promise you that God's going to do everything you ask him to do all the time. I also can't promise you that he's going to do it in the time that you want him to do it. But I can promise you this. God hears you and he loves you. There's a woman in our church I was talking to a few weeks ago. And she right now is battling... uh, a terminal illness. Doctors have told her this illness is what is going to be the thing that God uses to call her home. And she has for months now been very diligently praying that God would heal her. And that's a good prayer. We ought to pray for those kinds of things. But at this point, God has not done that in that way. 
And like you are and, and I get when you're praying for something like that and God is not responding, it doesn't seem like God is answering. And even though you're praying for something that is good, the, the answer just delays. She started to get frustrated and she started to say to herself, well, maybe God doesn't listen to me. You ever feel like that? God listens to other people, but he doesn't listen to me. Maybe God doesn't hear me. Maybe God doesn't listen to me. Maybe God doesn't love me. She had gone to the doctor, and the doctor had told her that she needed to start eating more food, but with the treatment that she's receiving, the idea of eating more food was just not a good idea to her. The energy to buy the groceries, make the food, and then having the stomach to eat it, it's just not there. And the doctor very specifically told her that she should be eating sweet potatoes, that that would be a helpful food for her to be eating. And she just said that she couldn't do it. Later the Later that week, after the doctor told her that, another person in this church called her up and said, hey, I made you soup. And I used the recipe that you gave me a long time ago, which I love. So I'm going to drop it by and you can have it. And I made your famous sweet potato soup. And so this other person from the church brought over the sweet potato soup and she had multiple meals from that one, uh, one batch of soup that was made. And she said, it was, if God, it was as if God was saying to me, I know I haven't answered this prayer fully yet. I know I haven't revealed my entire plan to you, but I want you to know I hear you and I love you. When you pray, and you have these prayers that God has not given you a full answer to yet, don't begin to think that God does not hear and that God does not love you. Don't let those thoughts creep, creep in as they do, that God hears other people and he does things for other people, but not me. God hears you and he loves you. And God sends this angel Gabriel to Daniel to say just that. When you started praying, a word went out, God hears you, and Daniel, you're deeply loved. And he tells them in the next few verses that he is going to forgive and he is going to act. That even though Daniel isn't going to get all the answers here that he wants right now, that God is going to forgive his people and that God is going to move and that God is going to act. These are those verses. The controversial ones, the difficult ones to understand that we don't have near enough time to get into this morning. But we're still going to read them, and we're still going to touch on them briefly, because this is God telling Daniel, I hear you, I love you, and I'm acting. This is what he says in verse 24. Seventy weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, and to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint a most holy place. Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem, that's a key point, to the, to the going out of the word to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. Then for 62 weeks, it shall be built again with squares and moat, but in a troubled time. And after the 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come, shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood, and to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed. 
And he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. And for half of the week, he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abomination shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. I think you understand that clearly, right? You know what that means? Why don't you tell me what it means? Anyone? These are difficult verses, I'm be honest. And there's many scholars, commentators, who I respect and I think take God's word very seriously, who have different interpretations of this passage. So I'm going to tell you what I think today, right now in this moment, this means based on all the reading and study I've done. But I reserve the right, if God speaks to me differently later, or if, if something happens, to change my perspective a little bit, okay? If you want a definitive answer, there's other pastors in the room. You can go, Justin knows the answer. Uh, no, no. <laughs> But here's what I think this is pointing to. I feel very confident, actually, that this is what it's pointing to. This term, 70 weeks, that word weeks uh, could actually be translated sevens. It means very literally sevens. Uh, so it's translated weeks because seven, seven period, but he could say 70 sevens. And most scholars, many scholars, believe that it's talking about years, periods of years, not what we would think of as typical weeks. So what you have is 70 times seven years. 77, 77-year periods. That's how most people understand this. Stick with me. 77-year periods. So that's, if you do the math in your head, 490 years. I read that one phrase twice. From the time the word goes out to rebuild Jerusalem, that's when the clock starts ticking on that 490 years. But most scholars think that at the very end, there's one final seven-year period that has yet to take place. There's a full agreement on that, but many people think that that's true. So you have to subtract seven years off the 490 years, and you're left with 483 years. There's more to talk about, but quite simply, the word goes out to rebuild Jerusalem to a man named Ezra. And it goes out again to a man named Nehemiah. So whether you take Ezra's word or you take Nehemiah's word, we're at about 458 B.C., 458 B.C., the word goes out and the clock starts ticking. So you have to take 458 B.C. and add to that the 483 years. And when you do, you end up in about 27 to 32 A.D., depending on how you count it, right in the middle of Jesus' ministry beginning on this earth and his death and resurrection. And I think very clearly, even though Daniel doesn't understand it completely in this moment, God is saying to Daniel, I hear you. I love you. Even after these 70 years, it's going to be tough for my people. It's going to be a long journey home. But I am sending a Savior who will forgive sin once and for all. And even though you don't see it right now today, Daniel, I am moving and I am acting. And if we will be diligent and disciplined in coming before God in prayer, not only the casual prayer, which is not bad, I'm not saying don't do that, but not just the casual prayer as we're going, but if we will diligently take time 
to turn our, our face towards God and to say, God, hear our prayer. God, forgive us. And God, would you move and would you act among us? You can be confident that God hears your prayer, that God loves you, that he forgives, and that he acts. And I think many of us do not pray. We don't pray that often because we think God doesn't hear us. He hears the spiritual people, but not us. And so we kind of come to church hoping that maybe we'll just get in on God's good graces. Like we know God doesn't listen to us, but maybe if we surround ourselves with people God listens to, that will be good for us. Let me tell you this morning, God hears you. And some of us in the room, we don't pray because we know our lives. And if it all got put out in a movie of all the things that have happened to us and all the things that have been done to us, it would be so painful and shameful. And we say to ourselves, there is no possible way God could forgive everything that's happened in my life. I'm telling you that through the action and the blood and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, God will forgive every single one of those things, no matter where you've come from and no matter what you've done. And some of us, we don't pray because we just don't think God does much anymore in our world. That maybe he did back in, then with the big stories, people being saved from lions, dens, and other things. But God is still moving and God is still acting. And it may not happen in the moment we want it to happen. This prophecy gets fulfilled long after Daniel is gone. But God is saying to Daniel, I'm still moving and I'm still acting. And I don't know what it is in your life that you are longing to have God do right here and right now. But even if you don't see God do it today or tomorrow, do not lose heart. God is still moving and God is still acting. And we ought to be diligent in coming before God, asking him to hear, asking him to forgive, and asking him to move. And I can't help but wonder if one of the reasons we don't see God move in our midst is because we aren't as diligent as we ought to be in doing this. I know I'm challenged, even in my own life, to be even more diligent and serious in my time of prayer, to ask God to hear, to ask God to forgive, and to ask God to move. But don't ever question the reality that no matter what, you are heard and loved, you are forgiven, and God is moving. I'm going to invite our worship team to come. Hey, thanks again for listening to the podcast from Mount Hope's Belmont location. At Mount Hope, we gather in Belmont every Sunday at 9 a.m. and 1045 a.m. and in Burlington at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. Each week that we gather, we do so to learn more about God, grow in our love of Him and others, and then we go to live lives driven by faith. If you live in the Burlington or Belmont, Massachusetts areas, we'd love for you to join us on a Sunday. You can learn more about us by visiting our website at mounthope.org, M-O-U-N-T-H-O-P-E dot O-R-G, or follow us on Twitter or Instagram at M-T Hope Belmont. Thanks again for joining us, and we look forward to having you listen again next week.